If you're good at something, never do it for free. You're my older brother, and I love you. But don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. I bought you. <laughs> Welcome back. We are the Podfellas, and thanks once again for listening to our entertainment podcast. I'm Myron, and joining me each week is, of course, Will. How's everyone doing? <laughs> each week, we'll provide a film or TV review, followed by a deeper dive into a related topic. Today, we'll be reviewing the film Capone, written and directed by Josh Trank. And we will be going through part two of our 10 over 10 series with a look back at the film The Dark Knight, directed by the one and only Christopher Nolan. Ooh, this ugh, this is going to be literally a a bittersweet review because Ooh. you already know, like, Capone the, was... Was the ugh, bitter? <laughs> Capone was, was the bitter. so bitter. <laughs> and the then... Dark Knight's a sweet. Is yeah. the sweet, yeah. Yes. So, how's it going, Will? Doing okay. I mean... Um, Things are starting to open up, as obviously you know as well, clearly yeah. in in, this, in California. Went on a day date with my girlfriend. Like, we we're just driving around and, and picking up food, eating in our car. <laughs> and uh, went on a uh, drive-in at the end of the day, which is great. Saw a twofer. So. Wait, so where was this drive-in at? Because I've been meaning to go back to a drive-in. The drive-in was in Montclair, but okay. I have to advise, uh, if you ever go to a drive-in ever... You need to be there at least like 45 minutes early because the line was ridiculous. Okay. All right. Well, you got to walk us through this process because I literally have not been to a drive-in. I remember the last movie You've I saw. You've never no, been no, to a drive-in? No. I mean, I've never been to a drive-in in like the last 30 years, literally. Um, I remember the last movie I watched. It was Speed starring Keanu Reeves. Oh, so you saw I, Speed at a drive-in. Yeah. My my dad <laughs> took me to see that after I graduated junior high. <laughs> Your so, dad took you. <laughs> yeah. Not not exactly 30 years. So maybe like 27 years or so. But anyway, so walk us through. So we, we got there 15 minutes early, but mm. we were in line, in the drive line, for like 30 minutes, 30 mm-hmm. to 40 minutes. Um, it, it was... <laughs> we had our food, but it was getting cold. So it was like... All right, well, we're at the drive-in, and we got there, and 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 uh, Zena, she was just like, "We're not leaving. We got we we've come too far. <laughs> we're not turning around from this." Hmm. I said, "Okay, well, we're we're definitely gonna miss a good portion of the film, the first film, so we might as well eat now." So we were literally <laughs> in traffic eating our food. <laughs> okay, all right. So then you get into the drive-in, and we I finally mean, get in. Yeah. Yes. So, so uh, when I was at last at the drive-in, we did the thing where you park your car. You you go outside of the vehicle and you like put a little like thing on your your car antenna. So how does this whole work with the audio? So the audio though is actually from they'll give you a uh, a FM or AM um, radio station. Okay. And yeah, so you just you just log into that station and and basically yeah, the mo- then you'll hear the audio coming through to your in your car. Okay. Um, funny enough, like what actually I used to do with my friends was when we didn't feel like paying for the drive-in. And it's not like the drive-in's really that expensive, honestly. It's only like ten bucks for two movies. Why would you not pay for the drive-in? Well, anyway, go ahead. I don't. Well, you know, I guess back in you know early high school days, whatever, we were broke. So, Uh. so the screens, like we would find a spot where we can see it, but also close enough to the to the antenna or or the or the station where it would you know uh, basically send the signal for the audio. We would literally go through the stations each station to find 
uh-huh. the right channel <laughs> to connect with it. It took a little time, but we've done it before where we were successful and it was pretty cool. All right. So then you, you pull in, um, you get the audio going. So how, what's it like? Like, you know, you know me, I'm a huge video file. How's the image quality watching, uh, uh, something on, I don't know how big that screen is, but you gotta be like, just like 50 yards away from that thing. You know, how, how does it look? So what's cool, though, is that even when you first um, pull up in the parking spot, what's funny, too, is that we had to be um, a parking spot over. So it was like more than six feet away from each car. And and uh, at this drive in, at least, because I can't remember if it was the other drive in had this, but there's there's these little bumps or little hills where your car is actually uh, leaning up. So you can mm-hmm. have a better view hmm. of the screen. But in terms of the, the resolution itself, it was great. So like, the image wasn't that, dim or anything? No, the image was not terrible at all. It was just okay. the actual uh, display itself where there were the line creases that you can see where they attached to, to put the screen together in general. Okay. So to all of our listeners out there, do you recommend for them to go spend the night out and go, go to a drive-in and, and check out a movie there? I definitely recommend it because it's okay. it's it's more intimate and it's a lot more fun. Um, I mean, uh, you bring your own food if you want, um, and it's just yeah, it's really cool. Drive-ins have always been fun for me. I guess I just never had, I never took the time to do that more often. And as for myself, um, in terms of what I've been doing, it's pretty much been the same old, same old. I have a few edits actually that I've uh, been needing to finish up, so oh, I should nice. be working on that this week. Uh, other than that, I mean, I mentioned last week. Uh, Finished up The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary. Mm. Highly recommend it to anyone, sports fans. And also, if you're not a sports fan, I, th- I think it's just as entertaining. Uh, so the WWE, of course, uh, has their own version of it called The Last Ride. And it Are kind of follows... Uh, no, no. It kind of follows The Undertaker's career over the last three years. If you, if oh, you don't okay. know... Yeah. If you, if you guys don't know The Undertaker, I'm sure everyone knows who he is. But he has Dude, been Undertaker's in the awesome. WWE. Yeah. He's been in the WWE for 30 years. He's in his 50s wow. and he's had over 20 surgeries. And uh, the most recent one was a hip resurfacing where basically he had to swap out the his hip socket um, in order for it to, to in order for his leg to move easier um, in the in the pelvis, I guess, is what you call it. But anyway, um, it just follows an old man kind of on his way out um, and kind of seeing uh, what he has to go through to perform. And uh it's so interesting because, you know, I think a lot of WWE superstars, they don't get the credit that they deserve. And I say that because to them, they are performing in front of like tens of thousands, even like hundreds of thousands of people. And they feel like it is their art, their craft to go out there and entertain and perform for people. So and they're driven by that. They're driven to to please people and to put up a good show. So in that sense, I mean, what drives them is the similar to what drives like a like a famous actor or someone on a stage, like someone on Broadway even, but people don't really see it that way. And just see whether it's like even Jiro dreams of sushi or, you know, in, in this case, the last ride with the undertaker, any kind of documentary where you get to watch someone strive for excellence. It's, it's always amazing, you know? So yeah, it's been really, really great to watch. So episode three is dropping today. Today's Sunday. So I can't wait to watch that one. So just a quick look at our future episodes that we have coming up next week, we will be reviewing the movie, the half of it, which can be seen on Netflix. And we're going to be pairing that up with battle Royale in terms of the week after we're going to be reviewing the lovebirds, which is the newest Camille Nanjiani movie, which also can be seen on Netflix. It just dropped this past weekend. And we will be pairing that up with Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Any thoughts, comments, suggestions, or reviews of our content? Drop us a line at the Podfellas Podcast at gmail.com. 
you want to tell your friends about us, you can let them know that our podcast can be found on the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, as well as Spotify. And now into our film review for the movie Capone. Here's a look at the trailer. Do you know what the difference is between Adolf Hitler and Al Capone? Hitler's dead. Capone lives like a king in Florida. He has full-blown dementia. I have reason to believe that could all be an elaborate act. What's this about? We have information that your client may have tucked away a very large sum of money. You can drop the act now. You got goons walking around. Guys like you own this place, ten million dollars. Maybe I can get him to talk. He's gonna go on a rampage. We made a promise. Someday we was gonna make it big. The only thing that really matters is how man treats his family. All right, that was a look at the trailer for the film Capone, starring Tom Hardy, written, directed, edited, and co-starring Josh Trank. Dear I'm not Lord. kidding about that. He did do, he did have all those roles in this in the making oh of this film. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 47-year-old Al Capone, after 10 years in prison, starts suffering from dementia and comes to be haunted by his violent past. At the same time, the FBI believes that he has hidden away $10 million somewhere on his estate. So they are listening to his calls. They are watching him and Capone starts to freak out. Doesn't know what's real, what's not. And his paranoia starts to get the better of him. Is the movie about those things directly? To be honest, I'm not sure what this movie is about, but uh, I think uh, the best thing we're talking about again, we're talking, we're talking about a movie called Capone, which Uh, seems to have ripped off a million other movies without any uh sort of coherent connection between any of the movies that it ripped off. But I wanted Uh, to ask you first, Will, I'm more of a good news first kind of person. So what did you like about this movie? Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Dude, as much as I really wanted to like this film because I love mob films, I love gangster movies, I love the classics, it yeah, it really had to rely on the actors' performances. But mm-hmm. even with Tom Hardy, Linda Cardellini, and Matt Dillon's strong performances, there was a lot of heavy lifting to keep this film afloat. Like hmm. the cinematography was done well and the color correction was pleasing. Like I enjoyed that. Uh, I, but aside from those two, it was it was slow. It was it, it was jarring. It was confusing. So let me ask you this: You said there was a lot of heavy lifting needed to keep this movie afloat. Does it stay afloat? It doesn't manage to not sink to the bottom of the ocean. You know, like when when you lay on your back in this pool. And you're kind of letting your lungs kind of give you buoyancy, and you're in your it's just your nose and your mouth barely hanging on where you can breathe, but you mm-hmm. but your whole body's just you know, yeah, it's kind of like that. Gotcha. Well, I have to agree with you there uh, in terms of what I liked. Uh, there really wasn't too much. Tom Hardy is obviously amazing in everything that he's in, um, and he's amazing here. Um, I liken Tom Hardy and many of the great actors out there, like a Christian Bale. I liken them to. Kobe Bryant. Um, Kobe is so good and so amazing that he has the ability to literally take over the entire game. 
And so, you know, obviously he scored 81 points against the Toronto Raptors. And I liken Tom Hardy's performance here to that Kobe Bryant performance. He tries to score 81 points to carry his team to victory. And, you know, in the case of Kobe Bryant, they did win that game here you know, they lose. And <laughs> what happens is when you score that many points, you look amazing, but everyone around you just looks really, really bad. Yeah. And in, in this case, I would say, you know, Linda Cardellini did a great job. Um, and so yeah. she was good. Everyone else, um, not so much. I really didn't know what I was watching. So obviously I that's... Matt Dillon did a great job though too. Yeah. He, he was... Like his performance and, and what he played in this film, I, I was like, oh, what the heck? Like yeah. it literally was a WF, WTF moment for me. Yeah. So. But how his character was handled was extremely mud, uh, muddy. And I wasn't sure what I was watching. And oh, I felt yeah. like the director didn't even know what to do with his character uh, and how to even handle the reveal surrounding his character. Going back to how Tom Hardy is Kobe. What I'm trying to say here with this whole analogy is when you're an actor that's as immensely talented as Tom Hardy is, he just needs to be surrounded by the right supporting cast and the guy's going to win championships you know and here unfortunately they don't even come anywhere close it, it, it's really 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 bad let me just say one more thing i would even yeah. say tom hardy's performance was almost caricaturized by really really bad makeup and we know he's dying yeah. but he looks like he was he's I already was gonna dead in that. the movie yeah i he was gonna literally awful. ask you i was asking i was gonna ask you the question did like did you get why his eyes were just always bloodshot and like looking like he was blind? Like his, it, it was just really weird makeup to me. I don't know. Everything felt very theatrical in a sense. Yeah. Like, yeah. So and I it, didn't understand that. It bordered on actually worsening his performance, you know, cause he's fully in character chomping on the cigars, kind of growling at everybody being the curmudgeonly old dying man. The, the makeup didn't help. You know, yeah. it actually okay. made everything far more exaggerated and I have no idea what the hell they're doing. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I felt the same way for sure. All right. All right. Well, what surprised you about this movie? <laughs> uh, <laughs> what surprised me was how it wasn't enough for Josh Trank to write, direct, and edit this film, but he had to have a cameo. <laughs> like, yeah. Why, dude? Like, dude, you're, you're doing too much. Like, you, you really need to realize, like, uh, you, you can't do, you're, you're not the unicorn, like, directors like Akira Kurosawa or, like, um, David Lynch, you know, like, or the Coen brothers. Like, but even with those directors, they, they didn't had, act in it, yeah. Yeah, they didn't act in it, but it wasn't even just that, but they would have help. They would have co writers or they would have other uh, friends who, who who do uh, write better than they do and whatnot, and they weren't afraid to really express that. But really, like, I I didn't understand why he like just really had it upon himself. Like, I guess maybe it was like his maybe his first and his last time to get a chance to have this kind of opportunity to do well, it all. But right, right when the opening credits ran and you saw you know written yes. and directed by Josh yes. Trank, edited mm-hmm. by Josh Trank, you, <laughs> as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh boy, because one of the worst things you can do is have the director edit the movie because what you want, as a, first off, as a director, you've lost all objectivity because you've seen every single take, 100%. you've seen all the performances, and you need someone with a fresh eye uh, to kind of almost you know, counterpoint with you, to argue with you, to be like, no, 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 no. This is what I'm seeing. If there is no second opinion, you're not really 
left with a really good movie, I would say, in most cases. I mean, the Coen brothers, they do edit their own stuff. They are the the exception to the rule, but they're But they're, they're brothers like, like you have you have two yeah, brothers two going at it yeah. and, and, and honestly having different opinions still. Yeah. So yeah. But IE um other professional like duos, uh like Scorsese and and uh Schoonmacher. Yeah. And then you have Spielberg and, and Michael Kahn, Kahn, you know. And you just Nolan you, and Lee Smith, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just you have to have fresh eyes because, like you said, directors will focus. I at least from what I've experienced, so much on a shot that they want in the film, where in actuality, it won't work. And yeah. for the editor to see that, like understanding, like yeah, I know you took a long time to get this shot, but I'm sorry, it's it's going to hurt the film. Yeah. Did so. you notice the uh, the beginning of the movie? It's this. Uh introduction to Capone's character and it's Thanksgiving dinner and he's surrounded by kids and then it kind of goes and goes and lumbers along and all of a sudden it just cuts away to like a random opening credit sequence like yeah. showing like the marshes of Florida and I'm just like where the hell did this come from <laughs> like this yeah so I don't I don't know if you're familiar with Josh Trank's body of work but he directed a movie called Chronicle which I absolutely loved it was kind of a that wasn't bad yeah that was a found footage superhero movie and there, at the time, in my opinion, there really wasn't anything like it. I think Brightburn actually borrowed quite a bit um, from that, that whole idea. But you know, the, he kind of hit it big with that. It was a commercial commercial success. But then, however, he went, however, he went on to direct uh, <laughs> Fantastic the Fantastic Four, Four, the last one with Miles Teller, <laughs> Michael B. Jordan, Jamie Bell, Kate Mara, and that is an oh, yeah. A-list class, yeah. an A-list cast, and like a, a huge property. And parent, and that movie was cost a lot of money, didn't make a lot, it completely tanked. No one really liked it. Critics hated it. The actors were talking about what a toxic environment it was on set and I honestly thought the guy wasn't going to make a movie again. But then here I see him, he's directing Tom Hardy in a Capone movie. I was like, "Oh, maybe this is his chance at redemption." But yeah, like I was saying, as soon as I saw that a guy like him who, you know, has not the best reputation, as soon as I saw him acting in, writing directing and editing his own movie i was like oh boy we are in for a rough ride here <laughs> and i mean from the fantastic four you know he didn't direct anything until capone which is five years later yeah you know what i mean yeah so eesh, i don't yeah you think this is the end of the line for him <laughs> i don't know i don't know um like i said uh the movie is just barely watchable because of hardy if not for hardy it would have been just not a hundred times worse, but a million times worse. <laughs> so what I'm looking up on right now on his filmography, he is writing the rise of Theodore Roosevelt in adaptation. So that's been announced. I don't know if he's going to be directing it, but he is a writer of it. Interesting. So. Interesting. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, what surprised me about this movie and honest, uh, honestly, it shouldn't have, but it was, like I said, Linda Cardellini as may she played Al Capone's wife. She's been one of those Catherine Hahn, Paul Giamatti type, you know, actors that are pretty much good in everything. And I feel like she's finally starting to get her due. Um, she is a solid rock and foundation uh, for Capone and for the movie. While Capone is off in his own head, hallucinating, seeing things, having strokes. 
May is kind of that the wife, the steady wife, the character that kind of holds the movie down to give it some sense of stability. And I think she does a, a good job. Whereas Hardy goes full Pacino, or you know, if you've heard our early earlier episodes, he goes full Bale here. Uh, another thing that surprised me in a negative way, though, was how uh, how Trank clumsily navigated back and forth between nonsensical fever dream and plot driven story. It yes. doesn't really make sense because a lot of times you're seeing uh, his hallucinations. We're not really seeing what what is bringing these about. One would think guilt um, and maybe remorse at some of the things that he's done in his past. Uh, and the, these visuals that we see don't have a through line. They're not connected. It's almost as if there are a bunch of scenes that he thought were cool in other movies. I mean, some of the influences were it. I saw a lot of The Shining in this, but there's really no like narrative thread that pulls all of these things together and then all of a sudden there will be like a scene uh, that's more plot driven where an fbi agent goes to say oh i'm gonna i'm gonna find out where the money is and it's like that scene comes out of nowhere because you know for like an hour of the hour and a half movie we're in capone's head and then all of a sudden you're letting me you're telling me that the driving force behind this movie is 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 the hunt to find this 10 million dollars and then all of a sudden that that plot moment disappears and there's then we're nothing. back with Hardy. Yeah. And, and there's, there's nothing, nothing comes of it. Yeah. There's, there's no fruition. Nothing comes to fruition with that. And, it, and it's really made no sense. Yeah. And it, it's shocking how clumsy he was with all of this. And the other thing that really surprised me, the trailer leads us to believe that the movie, like we were just talking about, was about discovering the money that Capone had hidden away. But the movie really isn't anything there's it really nothing isn't to do. about that. And there really is no like, we don't know why Capone is hallucinating and seeing what he's seeing. He just sees these things and images and they don't resolve and they don't pay off. And then he just dies. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay, <laughs> that was a waste of my time. Anyway. Oh, man. So can I talk on- about what I really didn't like about it? <laughs> <laughs> sure. So, so far we've talked about just what we didn't like. And now we're going to talk about what we really didn't really like. Really didn't like. Yeah. Go ahead, Will. Dude, this film was so off and so slow. Like, even though Scorsese's film, The Irishman, was slow and hella long, it still had better structure and better detail elements than Capone. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, to my opinion. Yeah. The editing, yeah. dude, the editing in this film fell off and mistimed when creating, like, the fragmented pieces of Capone's reality versus his dementia, his memories. Mm-hmm. Like, it, 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 I would just be like... Okay, wait. Are we looking at his reality or his memories? Like, I, I, you know, even though I knew it was supposed to have that feeling of being inside of Capone's head, it just got way too jarring, dude, to grasp any sense of what was really happening. Because it lacks so much detail of what you already kind of elaborated on, like on who and what Capone was experiencing. Like, mm-hmm. th- there was no dialogue. It was just, what the hell are we looking at? Why are we looking at this specific uh, memory that he's having? Like, why are you making this a bigger jigsaw puzzle than it needs to be, really? Josh Trank like really like the whole concept of Capone's also 10 million dollars hidden somewhere was a huge waste of time yeah. so what I thought was going to happen was uh-huh. that through the hallucinations it would be revealed where he is keeping the money but no there's yeah. no point yeah there was like that and that leads me to, yeah it's just there was no point and also what I thought was kind of like there was I didn't get it maybe you've gotten some out of it but I thought it had no point his estranged son Tony oh, yeah. had little to no purpose other than showing Capone and another son 
which they never went into detail with. Like, yeah. oh, look, I have a son that's a part of me in this family. And, and every now and then a, he calls the house and, and, and doesn't, doesn't say anything and hangs say up. Anything. I, I, okay, so th- there is a moment where you do see the FBI agent with Cleveland uh, mm-hmm. in the house when, when you know, he was trying to think, uh, say happy Thanksgiving to his dad. But after that, I thought, okay, I get it. The FBI is there. I think they're trying to get something out of him. But when he calls back again and there's no one around, like no FBI agent, he doesn't talk. He, he, he just keeps hanging up. And I'm like, why the hell are you keep, why do you keep showing this? Yeah. I don't, there's no point to this anymore. And so I, I think uh, I want to clarify a couple of things as well. And that's that I am okay with a movie not having a strict plot but there has to be some sort of like grace and efficiency and brevity by which the material is handled. For example, tree of life, amazingly beautiful movie, but it's still in some way made sense. You knew that there is, is a hand pulling these pieces together in this film. You literally feel like this guy is trying, thinks he can make a Jackson Pollock painting by just taking buckets of paint and throwing it on on a blank canvas. But you don't end up with a, with a Pollock. You end up with a a, a hot mess, you know, (laughs) in terms of what I didn't like about the movie, I think I've already kind of gone through it. Um, You know, the movie was an absolute incoherent mess. And like I said, it pulls his visuals from a slew of movies, but instead of, doing his own thing with it, it felt like he was just ripping them off. And, you know, I think the best example of the opposite would be what Tarantino does. So much of his movies, what he really usually, what he's really doing is just ripping off everything that he's ever seen, but he pulls them together into something fully unique. And that is what basically epitomizes a Tarantino film. It has, you know, you're watching a Tarantino movie, but part of that has to do with the, you know, the, um, the homage that he's paying to all of the films and all of the masterful directors that, that he's, you know, he admires and that he's, he's borrowing. He's not from. as clever as Tarantino. Like he, he doesn't yeah. have, I'm sorry, like to really bash on this guy, but really like he just needs to really work on his craft a bit more in terms of directing, editing. I mean, Writing, maybe like he's not so so much bad of a writer, but if if that's the case, like stick with that and and, and like maybe just do that. Maybe I don't mm-hmm. know if I could really consider him as a really good director. Uh, definitely, in my opinion, he's not a great editor for sure. Um, and and also his acting. Oh my goodness, for the lines that he had, I was just yeah. like, why, <laughs> why, dude. <laughs> Um, I mean, I will say, though, that there is one theme that I think the movie uh, conveys pretty well, and it's that your past will always catch up with you. It doesn't matter who you are, uh, you even if you're Al Capone, all those people that you hurt, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's going to weigh on you. And I think that is something that's very applicable and something that we can at least, you know, take from the movie. So Especially there's that. Syphilis. At least. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and syphilis is bad. <laughs> Yeah, he had gonorrhea too. I did not know that. He did. Yeah, that wasn't mentioned had, in the movie, did it? Was it wasn't. No, I read. I was reading a biopic of Al Capone, and he had a slew of issues uh, health wise. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, the guy what smoked like twelve cigars a day. <laughs> it's yeah. like yeah, it's like Michael Jordan level smoking cigars here. But anyway, yeah. uh, what is your final review of the film, Will? Oh man, you're gonna be surprised about my score. I gave it a one point five. <laughs> <laughs> This was a film about one of the most notorious gangsters in his last years. And I believe his story was represented in the 
most underwhelming, bland, and messy way, which was such an injustice. Like, I, I get it. Like, you know, you can make a Valentine's Day massacre film, and, and it could be awesome, right? Because it's just one of those crazy historical moments, right? But to to really write and, and do a film about the last years of, of a notorious gangster, like, you really have to do it justice. You really have to take care of it, really have to... Um, just take your time with it, which I don't believe he did at all. Hmm. I have to agree with you here. This is maybe one of the rare times that we actually agree, but I also gave it one and a half stars. Mm. It is an absolute God awful movie. And the only reason I kept watching was because of Tom Hardy. And to be honest, he kind of sort of almost saves the movie. I mean, regardless of my feelings (laughs) about what the hell was happening and what I was seeing and how angry I was, it was like, oh, Tom Hardy's back on camera. What's he going to do next? You know, how is he going to act? How is he going to pull this up? Is he going to save the movie? And so that kept me going, that that wild card, like, is he going to do it? You know, is he going to put up 81, kind of like what, like what I was telling you? And so because of that, it's it's worth watching just for him. But I can guarantee you all that you're just not going to like the movie after. They should so, just call it Hardy. Yeah. Yeah. Take a Capone, just put in Hardy because literally yeah. it was just for the entertainment, sole entertainment of his performance. Yes. Yes. That is our review of the movie Capone. It is streaming on all major platforms. Check it out, but be warned. <laughs> I think we can leave it at that. We're going to take a little bit of a break and we will play for you the trailers for the half of it as well as for Battle Royale. Stay tuned. Give it up next for Ellie Chu. The good thing about being different in a town like this is that no one expects you to be like them. I'm 17. I live in Squamish with my dad. I run a business, writing essays for people. I guess I just never thought I'd need anyone else. Hey, hold up. $10 for three pages. No, I'm not trying to cheat. What's this? A letter. Maybe you can make me sound smart. Dear Astor Flores, I'm in love with you. These hallways are murder. I'm a lead you. Yeah, I know. You want a letter about love? I'll write you a letter about love. Hey, she wrote back. We can do this. Ask her to hang out. Come on, dude. You messaged me? Yup. Conversation is like ping pong. I hit one, and then you... What the? Oops. Where were you born? In Squamish. What do you like about Squamish? I've never been anywhere else. Me neither. What do you like about Aster? She's pretty and smart. What else could I like about her? I don't know. How her eyes look right into yours. How you can live in an ocean of her thoughts and she really knows. I'm so stupid. I just meant... You like Aster? Hey, it would suck to have to pretend to be not you your whole life. I gotta go. No, wait. What? You know what it's like to finally meet someone your age who gets you? Love, it's not finding your perfect half. 
It's the trying and reaching and failing. No, you don't see her. Who she is. Who she could be. we are back those were the trailers for the half of it as well as for battle royale which will and i will be reviewing next week and now on to week two of our 10 over 10 series in which will and i will be taking a look back at the film the dark knight and we have a very special guest here with us a friend to the pod fellas talented filmmaker mr andrew thanks for joining us thanks for having me again guys (laughs) all right so i'm really excited to be going through this with you guys because this is Number two on my list of all-time favorite movies. And I don't know if you remember this, Andrew, but you and I actually saw this together for that first mm-hmm. time. You remember? I do remember. Yeah. Yeah. It was a midnight showing, I think, on a Thursday night. And, and it didn't end until like three. I remember you you woke <laughs> up your now wife, but your then girlfriend. I think she napped. And we made her go to the movie theater with us. And she stayed up yeah. till like 3 a.m. And I had work the next day, too. So <laughs> I, I slept like two hours. I, I was dead, but it was so worth it amazing yeah it was an amazing experience yeah (laughs) so gentlemen i'm going to do something brand new here and we haven't done this before we didn't do it last week this is a little segment that i want to call honest reactions so i'm going to reveal a a point about the movie that you may know or that you may not know and if you have a reaction to it feel free to chime in and we're just going to talk this through and have some fun all right guys let's do it it's good all right so, The Dark Knight, released in 2008, got a 94 on Rotten Tomatoes. It made $535 million domestic, 470 international, and all that combined, uh, it made a billion dollars at the worldwide box office. This movie inspired what's called The Dark Knight Rule. That year, there were five movies nominated for an Academy Award, and The Dark Knight was not one of them. And people were so outraged that they made a rule the year after that would allow 10 films to get um, mm. to get potentially nominated. So, I mean, what do you guys think? Should it have gotten a nomination that year? I can't remember 
actually what it was going up against or if what it would have gone up against well, actually i can tell you what was nominated uh uh slumdog millionaire was nominated um mm-hmm. the curious case of benjamin button the reader frost nixon and milk so what do you guys it sounds think sounds all political like politically driven yeah. films for sure so let me ask you guys should it have gotten nominated and if so what should have been kicked off the list I totally uh, think it should have been nominated. Yeah. I was I was one of those people that was uh super angry that it wasn't. Hmm. So what would you uh, kick off then, Andrew? Man, I actually really loved Frost Nixon. Hmm. Uh and I love Slum Dog because I love uh Danny Boyle. Uh Ben Button, I think was um it was it was just a piece of cinematic magic. So I think that should remain I love there. Ben so I, Button. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe The Reader. The reader, milk. Milk was great. Milk was great because it was a very political film that I think deserved um, a nomination. I think the reader. Did you watch the reader? I did. Did you sleep? It was fall asleep in the reader. <laughs> I, I was. Able, I managed to stay awake. Okay. But I think it was. Uh, that was a Weinstein flick, right? It was. I, I think you know they just had it down to an art. You know the the Weinstein yeah. machine at that time. Yeah. Where literally like whatever they make, they get a nomination. So. Maybe yeah. the, I think you're right. I think it's the reader. Okay, got it. Well, the, what, the other question is though, I, I wanted to kind of chime in is, do you think that it was just that the Oscars weren't really, unless my my knowledge proves me, uh, my knowledge is incorrect though. Like, what films, what superhero films were ever nominated for an Oscar? Up till that point, I know Superman garnered a nomination, the Christopher Reeves movie. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, I I don't know. I mean, so afterwards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Afterwards, there was, there was quite a few. Like Wonder Woman was nominated. Black mm-hmm. Panther was nominated. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But uh, what do you think, Will? Should it have gotten a nomination? I think so, too. Yes. I think I think that it, it held just a solid performance in every aspect. And I think that, like, I mean, it granted the Best Picture nominations during that time of the 2009 Oscars. It's a pretty, that's a pretty solid also, like, uh, competition in there. But... Mm-hmm. Um, Milk was great. Uh, I I loved Benjamin Button. Um, Frost Nixon. I, I I can't really remember that film. The Reader. I did not see, mm-hmm. but I I thought you know was a Hugh Jackman's performance because he was hosting it. Oh yeah, <laughs> he did that song about like he did the song. who the, the hell is the Reader? The <laughs> Reader. <laughs> I remember have that. Have you seen her? The Reader. Yeah, but I would have probably also like. They replace the reader with that. Slumdog Millionaire okay. was great though too. So for some casting, did you knows? I, I want to get your honest reactions. Mm-hmm. They eventually landed. Uh, so the role of Rachel Dawes, which Katie Holmes played in Batman Begins, apparently she opted not to be in the sequel, so she could mm-hmm. act in the comedy called Mad Money. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I, I don't know what the hell she was thinking uh, there. Yeah. So the mm-hmm. role ultimately went to Maggie Gyllenhaal, um, and she was the one that Nolan chose. But she wasn't the only one that Nolan was considering. Other actresses up for the role included Rachel McAdams and Emily Blunt. Now, before wow. I get your reaction there, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for the role of Harvey Dent, there were other actors considered as well, including Matt Damon and Mark Ruffalo. Matt Damon. So mm. let me ask you guys, just in your opinion, do you think that the movie could have worked better if it had any of the other actors that I just mentioned? I think... For me, um, I was never happy with the casting choice of Maggie Gyllenhaal. 
Mm. Um, I mean, I like her as an actress, but I just, for some reason, she didn't fit in the film for me. Mm. And I love Emily Blunt and I love Rachel McAdams. I do too. I think both of them would have just killed it. So, Mm. oh man. I would say Emily Blunt more than than Rachel McAdams or or Maggie Gyllenhaal. Mm-hmm. I think Emily Blunt is just a force to be reckoned with uh, in terms uh, of yeah, talent. Yeah, I agree. She's incredible. I totally agree. She's, yeah. she's very, awesome. Yeah, she's amazing. Mm-hmm. What about the uh, Harvey Dent role? Could you guys have seen Matt Damon in the role or even Mark Ruffalo? Yes, I think so. I yeah. think they both uh, would have done a great job. But I actually really liked Aaron Eckhart in the, in the film. I did too. I yeah, did yeah. Too. I he was solid. Aaron Eckhart was solid. I don't think yeah. uh, Mark Ruffalo, I think Aaron Eckhart just has that persona and, and mm-hmm. look as like a kind of that politician yeah. you know yeah mark I ruffalo agree. a little too soft for me in a sense like just the way he's visual like he looks visually mm-hmm. and uh <laughs> he's saying he looks doughy <laughs> he just looks, you say he looks soft <laughs> visually he just he just he looks just look like a little, he's a little too soft for me yeah. a little too soft i mean yeah um and matt damon ugh, i don't know I mean, I mean matt would have been a great choice too but yeah i thought that uh you know, like Harvey Dent was supposed to be like this hotshot DA, and I thought yeah. Eckhart, Aaron Eckhart really kind of, really, yeah, yeah, I think he did a great job playing yeah. that part. And then post transformation, I thought he did a great job too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's why actually Nolan chose him because he thought that mm. Eckhart reminded him of Robert Redford. And I would have to say, I think uh, I'm happy with that choice. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I like it. Mm-hmm. Now I want to talk a little bit about Heath Ledger. Apparently, he was the only name on Nolan's wish list. This is what he said When I heard he was interested in the Joker, there was never any doubt. You could just see it in his eyes. People were a little baffled by the choice. It's true, but I never had such a simple decision as a director in my life. So when you guys first heard about this casting, what did you guys think? Were you like, I'm with it? Or were you like, what? Uh, Heath Ledger? Yeah, of course. I was like, what the frick? Mm -hmm. Really? I I was super excited about Heath Ledger. I think people, as soon as they thought Joker, they were thinking of making a Joker, like the Jack Nicholson Joker. Mm, and I think for yeah. that, the Heath Ledger choice was was off. But I yeah. think that casting was amazing just because he would have a youthful energy compared to Jack. And also, mm-hmm. it just made me think they were going to take him in a different direction, which was really exciting. Uh, all Absolutely. I thought about when uh, I was when I heard that Heath Ledger was going to be playing the Joker, I just thought, really? 10 Things I Hate About You? Brokeback Mountain? What the heck? What is this choice? So that's but, what kind of threw me off. Mm-hmm. But after seeing the movie, Will, were you like, damn, perfect? Or were you like, were you still on the fence about it? No, I, I was shocked. I was like, holy crap. This, like, I don't see Heath Ledger in like any, like wh- whatever I thought about him in, in, in before. I was like, this, this is so dark and he's mm. doing such a freaking amazing job. I mean. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So a few more things about Ledger as well as the Joker. The Joker's scars were actually inspired by what's called a Glasgow smile. Apparently in Scotland, uh, where there's a lot of gangs, um, what they would often do is slush you from you know past your lips up to your cheeks to kind of leave scars uh, to like, to remind you not to kind of mess with the the guys that you just <laughs> mess with. So don't don't Google it. Don't you, you, <laughs> trust me. Don't Google Glasgow <laughs> Smile. You're gonna wish you never did. And then also, uh, Leisure to prepare for his role. Apparently, locked himself in a hotel room for weeks, experimenting for ex- experimenting with voices and mannerisms until he developed something he was satisfied with. Yeah. He also kept a diary uh, while getting into character. And what he actually put in there was he would put in uh, various clipped art 
a lot of images from like Kubrick's uh, Clockwork Orange, stylized mm. notes and even lines from the script to kind of internalize it. So it, I think it was pretty amazing what, what he did to get into character. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just a few more things here. Heath Ledger is the first actor to flirt on camera with a brother and a sister in separate movies. <laughs> think about wait, it. Wait, here. He was what? He was the what? first actor to flirt on camera with a brother and a sister in two separate movies. <laughs> think about it. We we had Jake in Brokeback oh. <laughs> and oh Maggie in The Dark Knight. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Wow. That's funny. That one was mine. I didn't even Google that one. That one was in my sick, <laughs> sick mind. <laughs> I love oh it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right. And then a uh, last little tidbit here before we go on to the review. Uh, those shots of uh, Batman when he's on top of the buildings, there's one where he's on the Sears Tower and there's another one where he's on top of a building in Hong Kong. That mm. was actually Christian Bale. He would not wow. let the stunt guy stand up there with him. So, Are you serious? Uh, yeah, I'm serious. It's pretty awesome, right? Amazing. Yeah. All right. So that's it for uh, the little section that I like to call honest reactions. Wanted to go ahead and move on into the discussion about the film. So I wanted to first off ask you, Will, take us back to when you first saw this movie. What was your reaction to it? Having rewatched it now, is the movie as good as you remember? Let's see. I was 22 at the time when I first went to see it at midnight among friends. And, and Batman is my favorite superhero, so my adrenaline was high already with excitement, and I was constantly arguing with one of my close friends who kept thinking the film was nothing but hype and that Heath Ledger was a joke, which, you know, in a, in a, in a sense, I thought, yeah, I, I, that was obviously kind of a, a coin toss. Um, but after the scene where the Joker does his pencil trick... Like, How about a magic trick? Yeah, yeah. Everyone mm-hmm. in the audience literally yelled out the same, like, mm-hmm. "Oh my gosh!" Like this reaction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And my friend, who was the skeptic, then became this believer, where he was like, "Oh, this is going to be a tight film." <laughs> and I'm like, "Yeah." And from there, we both were on the edge of our seats the entire way. And I own this on Blu-ray. I, I actually own the trilogy, and it still stands strong today as it did back then for me. I mean, I think that for this take of of Batman. In, in its in its like lifespan, like Christopher Nolan just did a beautiful job with this film. Mm. So I, yeah, mm-hmm. it's still great today. Amazing. How about you, Andrew? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think when I first watched the film, um, it, it instantly became my favorite comic book movie. Um, but I think it supplanted like my previous favorite, which was actually Burton's Batman. Um, but mm-hmm. the thing for me was that it transcended the genre. And it stopped feeling like a comic book movie and it felt like a piece of like noir crime drama. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it was because maybe the characters were so real and so well grounded and so well developed that, you know, it just, it wasn't, it didn't take much for me to suspend my belief, which a lot of times like with these fantastical comic book films that it requires you to do. So yeah, I just, I, I absolutely think it still holds up today. It's, it's an incredible film and um, an amazing feat for sure by Nolan. It like mm. takes out the mm-hmm. term superhero and more mm-hmm. that vig- vigilante. Like this is a vigilante mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. how yep. Yep. real it, it feels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I have to agree. I think uh, there are certain comic book movies that try to transcend the genre. Like you were saying, Andrew, mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. succeed, some don't. The ones that mm-hmm. have succeeded, I think, are like you know, Logan, I think, uh, transcended mm-hmm. the comic book genre yep. to become like a almost like a cowboy western. Yeah. And, and then there are other movies that just are 
perfectly content with being a comic book movie. And I think mm-hmm, the Avengers mm-hmm. is something like that. And I think there's yes. nothing wrong with that. It's just uh-huh. when you try to transcend it, I think you have very mm-hmm. little margin for error completely. hundred percent. I think uh, if you think, if I look back and in all of the comic book movies, I feel like the Dark Knight was the first one that really successfully did that, right? Absolutely. Because everything else prior to that was they just embraced the fact that they were a comic mm-hmm. film. Yeah. They embrace the, the theatrics, yeah. yeah, the campiness, yeah. the theatrics, the campiness, right? Uh, just the overall arching, like, just mm-hmm. of of uh, kind of a screwball in a sense. I mean, yeah, it was just the wham and bam and all those mm-hmm. kind of things. No matter how serious it got, it was always mm-hmm. as if that like, the main character always looked out at you, the movie, the movie watcher, mm-hmm. kind of winked. As mm-hmm. if to say, mm-hmm. "Don't worry, we're not taking this too seriously." But right. there was none of that here, which yeah. was really refreshing. Yeah, I love totally. that. Yeah, because it made me like really feel that I wish we had those the real life kind of superheroes where mm-hmm. you know it's it's a natural thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The natural vigilante to to do that and like mm-hmm. the whole costuming, you know, and all that stuff is nothing to really look at as campy or yes or or just something like like hysterical. Like no, like this is badass. Yeah, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I alluded yeah. to this earlier. My first time I watched it, I was actually with you, Andrew. We, I don't mm-hmm. know if you remember, we were in a Starbucks back when we were writing partners, writing the script mm-hmm. that we were trying to get made. And mm-hmm. then I was so dead <laughs> tired. I, I don't know how much coffee I drank, but I was literally having heart palpitations when we went in to watch this movie. <laughs> and then the movie actually started and my heart was beating even faster. And it is mm-hmm. still to this day the best theater going experience that I've ever had. Wow. Uh, I've never seen a protagonist get dragged through the mud and get like just beaten up and beaten down as much as Batman did here. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that is just simply because he wanted to stick to his beliefs and he would not compromise yeah. that he wouldn't yes. kill, you know, and, 100%. and at the end of the day, he even that moment when he martyrs himself uh, mm-hmm. for the sake of the city, it was so poetic mm-hmm. and just the action scenes, uh, the bat pod coming out of the Batmobile, the big rig mm-hmm. flipping end over end. I mean, the movie ended at three. I got home. It was like three forty, and I had to wake up at six thirty. But I was so pumped up, I couldn't <laughs> sleep. And I totally agree. And like, honestly, like, come on, guys! Like, there is a scene in which Morgan Freeman is narrating a fight in the, at the end of the movie. <laughs> you know, it's like th- there are bad guys over here. It's like, yes, Morgan, talk to me. <laughs> yes, it, it was amazing. It's like you had to just sneak in the Morgan Freeman voiceover into this movie, and I thought that worked well. And and like, I mean, honestly, that scene with the the cruise ships where they both have a detonator. It's like mm-hmm. that could be its own two hour movie. Yeah, yeah. But they just stuck it in at the end of a of a Batman movie. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I'm, what I, makes like Batman the reason one of the main reasons why I, I love Batman being my favorite super uh superhero is because he's a, a regular gent, you know, he has no actual mutation or anything like that. I mean he's a billionaire, but one thing, but like he's just a normal human being with, with high mm-hmm. intellect and able to create crazy gadgets, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm, unlike mm-hmm. and like Superman and, and Wolverine and all that stuff, like that's what makes him unique as well for me is that he's mm-hmm. just a regular guy really with just a really dark past. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It almost makes you believe that something like this could really happen. Yeah. I mean, it's mm-hmm. still pretty. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think Mark Zuckerberg would look good in a Batman suit or uh, <laughs> Bill Gates. <laughs> it's very true. Yeah. Billionaires don't look like Christian Bale for sure. No, they don't. <laughs> no not at all. Yeah. So let me ask you guys, what was so fresh about this movie and why did it work so well? Maybe I'll ask you first, Will. Like I said before, Heath Ledger was the wild card for me. It, it was just mm-hmm. 
it was fresh, but I didn't know if it was like too good to be true or, or, you know, it was just a wild card. Uh, it was the main talk for everyone in my community because like who would have thought, like I said, the actor from Brokeback Mountain could have transformed a beloved villain into something that like no one could have ever predicted. Um, I gave a lot of, I mean, I give a lot of credit to Ledger's performance and that isn't fair because Nolan also really was the one to bring such a fresh psychological perspective of the story of Batman. Like he was mm. really, man, this is like Nolan graduated, I believe with in, in literature and I think psychology as well. And he just, mm. man, really, really killed it with the script and mm -hmm. the direction and just mm -hmm. how to really build a different perspective of, a, of this, of Batman as a superhero in this, in this city. Mm -hmm. So it, it yeah. was crazy. Blew my Completely mind. agree. Uh, mm -hmm. Nolan has a sense of story that I think people don't really understand or fathom. He just understands how something should go and what the mm -hmm. movie going audience will accept and what they won't. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. and he never dumbs it down for the movie goer. And I, I really mm -hmm. appreciate that. Uh, what about you, Andy? What, what was so fresh about this film? Yeah. Um, I think, the movie um, works so well uh, for me because uh, if you think about it, I don't, I can't think of another like hero villain rivalry greater than that of Batman so and the Joker, and right? The Joker, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And again, the performances were incredible, and you have these two high caliber actors playing opposite each other, which was incredible. But um, and I think we talked about this before earlier, but you know they're um, on completely different sides of the spectrum, and uh, in terms of like morality and their beliefs in and mm. the good that's inherent in the hearts of people and you know joker is constantly putting batman and not only batman but the heroes and even the citizens of gotham like you're saying uh with that uh the, the two ferry ships you know that the bomb sequence mm -hmm. to the test and he's trying to break people down and, and trying to convince people that you know when push comes to shove you're going to always choose self-preservation uh over you know sacrifice and i think that, like you said, I think if if Nolan's goal was to just continually um, like interject these psychological and moral dilemmas in these characters, I think he absolutely succeeded. And I think that was what was so interesting for me mm -hmm. was that like every single test these characters faced was like this incredible, almost an impossible life and death yes. moral dilemma, and that was just incredible. So and I so think true, it, right? Like every person was tested. All of the heroes were tested, and obviously Dent was the one that actually failed. failed. Um, you know, he, 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 he was turned, but even like the people, the citizens of Gotham, when push came to shove, they actually did the right thing. And that even that, that criminal, that one scene where the criminal takes the detonator and throws it off, off out of the ship, I was kind of like, dude, I was kind of getting moved there because you would think these hardened criminals would, yeah. would be all about themselves. But yeah, they were thinking about the women and children and yeah. the innocent people on the other boat. And so, yeah, yeah it was just an incredible journey. Um, Give it, it to was, me. It was, it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Give it to exactly. me. Exactly. And I do what you should have done a long time ago. <laughs> Wasn't that Zeus totally. from the WWF, by the way? Did you guys watch wrestling back in the day? No? I did it, but he looks really familiar. I was like, yeah. where do I know this guy from? <laughs> so yeah. funny. He had like one like totally lazy eye, I think. Yeah, right? like one was cross-eyed. It's not even lazy. Normal. It's just like dead. It's just like, <laughs> it like dead. <laughs> it's it doesn't work anymore. It's glass. Yeah, it's a glass eye. 
Yeah, for me, this was the first time I saw a comic book movie really transcend the genre up until now. Up until then, um, I saw movies succeed at being a comic book movie itself. I mean, mm-hmm. just look at the Tobey Maguire original Spider-Man, oh, yeah. X-Men mm-hmm. 2, the original mm-hmm. Superman directed by Richard Donner. Those mm-hmm. all succeeded at being a comic book movie. But this was mm-hmm. almost like I was watching The Godfather mixed in yeah. with... Uh, with a comic book film and it, yeah. it just was insane. And they, just the way yep. they upped the stakes, it's like, mm-hmm. you know what? This movie takes place in Gotham, but we're going to go to Hong Kong. We're going to have a sequence <laughs> yeah. there where he jumps off the roof of one of the tallest buildings there. And I'm just like, they really, really went for it. And like mm-hmm. I was saying before, a movie like Logan doesn't exist without the dark Knight. And yeah. I think the take on the Joker was amazing because in a time like today, everyone wants to know the backstory. Everyone wants to know why the bad guy is the way he is. Mm-hmm. And I think it's more like that today, which is why we had a movie like the Todd Phillips Joker, where, you know, we show exactly how the clown prince of crime becomes, you know, who he mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. But it's so risky to make someone or something as a force of nature. Uh, without giving any sort of backstory to whatsoever. If anything, Nolan is basically saying, this guy has no backstory and I'm going to freak mm-hmm. you out even more because of that. Yeah. And it, it was yeah. a massive risk to take, but at the same time to him, I don't think it was a risk because in interviews, he's so like set. He's like, every character in modern mythology has the the Joker, trickster, Loki type character. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. if you see him on camera, you're not going to want to ask the question, oh, what was his upbringing? Who is he? He even mm. pokes fun at it because mm. it's like uh, when he says, do you want to see how I got my scars? And he yeah. gives like two or three different responses, almost as yeah. if he's toying with you. And yeah. it was just so interesting to see a filmmaker, a masterful filmmaker, take that kind of risk, which to him probably was no risk at all. And then the ultimate churn at the end with Harvey Dent becoming Two-Face. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. wasn't sure if he would churn in this movie, but mm-hmm. the way it happened was Mm -hmm. so organic to the story and so perfect and so tragic too that it Mm -hmm. was just the icing on on the cake for me it really was totally yeah Yeah. i was like agree with you yeah it was like the joker wasn't really a character but like a metaphor of anarchy basically Mm. like he was the Mm -hmm. essence of anarchy yeah Mm -hmm. it's kind of that like that line in star wars where i think the emperor says uh, uh light rises and the darkness to meet it um, mm-hmm. And it was kind of like that this yin and yang kind of relationship where Batman is order, then Joker would be disorder. Uh, mm-hmm. One exists because the other exists, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So I thought it was just an interesting thing to tackle and completely different than the Tim Burton Joker, I thought. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Um, I I think you bring up a really interesting point, Myron, about how uh, they didn't really spend any time on Joker's backstory. And you look at the other two films, you know, Batman Begins, I think we spend the entire movie um, you know, obviously in the backstory of Bruce Wayne and Batman. And then in um, The Dark Knight Rises, you know, uh, Bane's character, mm-hmm. uh, we, we get a lot of the backstory and and introducing us to like who he is and why he became who he was. But I think you're, you're so right. It's so interesting that we didn't even need any of that backstory here. And it was all done through um, just the way that Heath Ledger masterfully delivered those lines. Mm-hmm. And that was all it took for us to completely yeah. buy in and just get completely engrossed mm-hmm. in this guy so it was completely. it was masterful totally amazing here's the help yeah or sorry well i was gonna say like i, I can't help but to, uh, to beg the question though is it due to the fact that this story of batman is pretty much uh aware for majority of of, of people in the united states or in the world in general like that 
it, it doesn't have to, you know, uh, dig so deep into the backstory of all that, you know, as much. I mean, that, that to me was like, because he's such a familiar character, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think with that in mind, I think Nolan, that's where Nolan had the benefit to kind of play uh, his his role on like trying to yeah. really twist, give it a different twist to it. What's so interesting mm-hmm. though is like in Batman Begins, I felt like I, I kind of see what you're getting at. It's like, why do you need to give a backstory to such well-known characters? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel like uh, um, for Batman Begins, he decided to take on the challenge of trying mm-hmm. to explain why Batman exists. So in in one movie, he took on the challenge of doing that. And in the other movie, he says, no, I'm not going to do it at all. So yeah. it's really interesting yeah. why he did so much with, for one character and so little for another. But all I can say mm-hmm. is I think it worked pretty well in both yeah. films. Yeah, it did. It definitely did. Yeah. Totally agree. All right, moving on. This movie is 12 years old. Does it still hold up? Wow. Yeah. Is it still relevant today? It's a different time. And wanted to just get your take on, on whether it still holds up. Yeah, uh, I'm going to answer this in two parts. I think the first is, um, I think, I think you talked about this earlier, but I think it set the bar uh, in terms of being like the pinnacle of interweaving like art, pop and box office all in one film. And I think um, absolutely it would still hold up today because uh, like you said, Nolan doesn't dumb things down for the audience. Mm. And I think you you kind of expect going into a comic mo- book movie thinking that's going to be just brainless fun, but this actually was completely engaging on all fronts, right? Emotionally, mm-hmm. but also it was very as a very heady film. So I, I think absolutely the audience is much more sophisticated nowadays, and I think it would completely hold up. Interesting. And I think the second point is that it was technically just so incredible. You know, they shot the opening sequence um, on IMAX, and I think uh, if yeah. I'm not mistaken, you know, he kind of was the first one to really he was uh, yeah. bring it back, right? The IMAX because I think it was kind of a dying. Uh, film format and it was the cameras were too big it was cumbersome to shoot with and hard to focus but you know dude he he ended up uh bringing that back and shooting the entire sequence or the opening sequence with that and i thought technically it was just an incredible film and if you were to break it down technically it would still completely hold up today this movie has been universally praised but let's pick out Mm -hmm. any moments of the movie Mm -hmm. if any that are weak or you didn't like so first you andrew anything on your list here Man, if I had to pick something, it'd be like, oh gosh, I think it was probably thirty minutes too short. I don't know, <laughs> too short. Was, I, <laughs> I didn't want it to end. Uh, it was such a fun movie. Um, I guess you know, you know, like that that phrase, "time flies when you're having fun," was completely uh, the case for me in, in this mm. film. Okay. Um, I I think if if I had to pick one thing, um, and I think I didn't realize it at the time, but I think when I was watching it, um, I felt like that it was a Joker's movie. And that Heath Ledger kind of took over and Christian Bale's mm-hmm. character, Bruce Wayne, was kind of lost. But th- I had to take a step back. And once Batman uh, or Dark Knight Rises came on, and I realized that you're supposed to look at this entire trilogy as one big, long movie. Mm-hmm. It made a lot of sense. You know, like you said earlier, they spent um, all of Batman Begins developing his character. And so, uh, you know, for the Dark Knight, they were able to pretty much focus on um, you know, the Joker, developing Joker, even though we don't go into the flashbacks like we had mentioned, I think mm-hmm. he did such an amazing job um, creating the Joker. And I think, I think we've, we all know that, you know, the hero is only as good as the, his villain. Yes. Right. So the fact that the Joker was pretty much, uh, Heath Ledger's Joker was able to transcend above everything else that we've seen before in terms of a comic yeah. book villain uh, made 
Batman even stronger as a character. So it was, right. yeah, yeah. So I think now that I know that it's a trilogy, at the time I, I, I wasn't sure if it was announced that it was a trilogy or maybe it was, but now seeing all three at once, it really makes a lot of sense to me. I think Nolan had a much grander vision for it than just the Dark Knight. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a complete three act mm-hmm. piece basically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What's, what's so interesting is uh you know in every superhero movie you expect the superhero to be the one to change to grow mm-hmm. um and even in like sequels that's why it's so hard how will the character grow even more mm-hmm. in the next movie but if you mm-hmm. think about this the the trilogy itself in um batman begins of course he mm-hmm. goes from the, the the change from bruce wayne to batman and this one it's almost as if he has to fight not to change to not compromise mm. his beliefs. And it's Harvey yes. that actually wow. changes. Mm-hmm. So that's where the conflict comes from, where the Joker is saying, no, you're going to change. You're going to give up your yes. beliefs. You're going to kill. But then uh-huh. you know he he chooses not to, which is such an interesting take on this. And I totally get mm-hmm. what you're saying, Andrew. Like uh, Batman is flat because he doesn't change in this movie, but that's almost like the point, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a really good way to look at it. I've never uh, actually thought of it that way, but you make such a great point. Hmm. Yeah. How about you? Well, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Andrew. No, it just, I think it reminds me of that quote in the movie. Uh, you know, uh, this is what happens when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object. Yeah. I mean, yeah, really, really incredible stuff. Hmm. All right. So I'm going to really, really nitpick here. And honestly, no movie (laughs) deserves anyone to stare at it with a magnifying glass after like a hundred viewings. So it's like, it's kind of the equivalent of going to, to the Vatican climbing a scaffold and staring at the Sistine Chapel with a magnifying glass when you're supposed to just (laughs) see it from the, from the floor. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to just go into what, what some of the things I didn't like. Um, First off, there is one really awkward 360 degree shot, which almost makes me feel like it was 3 a.m. and Nolan was just like, look, we're, we're all tired. I don't want to cover this scene. Let's just get a steady cam and have him move around in a circle and just get everyone's lines. The scene uh-huh. I'm referring to is when uh, Harvey Dent, Batman, and Gary Oldman oh, are on top of the roof, the roof. Of, of MCU. <laughs> and they're, they're all talking about how Lao just took all the money and fled to uh, Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Batman is basically saying, if I bring him back, you know, are you going to be able to get what you need? And then Dent says, I'll make him sing. I'll make him sing. That movie really could have used some traditional blocking because there are a lot of really awkward pauses in that scene. <laughs> that that just always bothered me. Mm-hmm. The, and also the fight scenes in just the Batman movies never really did it for me. It's mm-hmm. like he does this thing where like he puts his <laughs> his hand on his shoulder, his hand on his head with his elbow sticking out like he's doing the Macarena <laughs> and he's just <laughs> going through and like slowly swinging his elbows <laughs> and like taking these long windups and like just <laughs> hammering people down and it just looks like the bad guys are just waiting to get hit and that just it always bothered hey, me. Uh, bro, he that's crop my couldn't turn his head. He couldn't turn his head. Yeah, you know, like his, the the bat armor in the beginning of the movie, you can't turn his head. So yeah, that's I mean, why he asked he, he uh, only has, Fox. <laughs> he only has uh, so get him many articulating suit. points in that in that freaking suit, dude. You know, right. he fights like Keanu Reeves. You know, like he doesn't. He just <laughs> the Matrix. He just moves yeah, the Matrix so Keanu. slow. <laughs> so there's that um, Maggie Gyllenhaal's performance. Um, her boyfriend almost gets shot and killed in the court of law. And right after <laughs> she's smiling, laughing and says, you're not doing your job. If no, if people aren't trying to kill you, it's like, they almost killed your boyfriend. I would not be laughing at this, at this moment. But, I but think that's, a really, that's a really great point. Yeah. 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 
and, and the last thing here, and they're both kind of connected, is this. Um, did you guys ever wonder after when the Joker goes to Bruce's penthouse during the, the fundraiser, after uh, Rachel and Batman make their exit out one of the windows, mm-hmm. um, the scene just ends without any sort of explanation as to what happened. Did the Joker kill everybody? Mm. Did he just leave? Right. <laughs> like, and then nothing occurs and we're not given any explanation. Yeah. And also later on when uh, Harvey and Rachel are you know, both being threatened by the Joker, uh, you know, uh, then says, is there anywhere you can go? Is there anyone where in the, is, is there anyone in the city that we can trust? And then Rachel says, no, Bruce's penthouse is the safest place in the city. And I'm just like, uh, yeah, no, the Joker just walked in <laughs> was just with the elevator. <laughs> like 30 Literally. minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> so that that's really uh, nitpicking. But yeah, that that's it. All right, gentlemen, we're going to have some fun here before we offer our final reviews of the film. Mm-hmm. We're going to do a little segment here called Fact or Fiction. Based on the ESPN segment, I'm going to present some bold statements about mm-hmm. the movie, and it's up to you guys to say, to say whether it's fact or fiction and then say why. Ooh, All right. Okay. So here we go. Will, you first, and then Andrew uh, after. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Fact or fiction, Heath Ledger is the best Joker ever. Oh, man. I... I, uh, I, I, look. He's struggling with Jared Leto (laughs) versus Heath Ledger, right? Yeah. Look, okay, so for me, there's no way to rank each Joker because for me, they aren't playing the same Joker, in my opinion. Um, if, if it's my, (laughs) (laughs) look, look, okay, let me, let me just explain real quick. Hamill played the classic comic book Joker with the over the top theatrics. Nicholson Mm -hmm. toned it toned it down like toned down Hamill's take of the Joker and was a bit more polished and still but while still capturing the essence of the comic book villain I also have to say that it had a very Burton-esque touch as well when it came to that that Joker mm-hmm. Phoenix's version of the Joker with the origin story created sympathy and some compassion because you're following you know his character of transformation from his innocence into his insanity like that mm. for me is why I also enjoyed uh, Phoenix's performance okay. Ledger plays the strong anarchist clearly with outlandish like sociopathic tendencies right and there's no origin story in that sense like it just really comes down to like which one you gravitate more towards and honestly for me i think ledger did an amazing job given the fact that he was an actor who always played more like heartthrob roles you know and then that was the shock factor for me and and i think i'll be this it'll be it's the same effect i think it's going to be the same effect hopefully and this is coming from you, though, Myron, with Robert Pattinson playing the new Batman. So we'll see yeah, what happens we'll there. We'll see what happens there. But so are you pleading the fifth here? Uh, well, all this to say, my favorite version of the Joker, my favorite version was Phoenix and Ledger, like okay. for the reasons I've stated earlier. So fact, okay. yes, Heath Ledger is one of the best Jokers. I'll say. All right. So I also was going to ask if you could rank them, but are you also refusing to rank them? <laughs> Will? <laughs> I, yeah, it's hard for me to rank them. I okay. can't. Yeah, all right. sorry. All right, all right. Well, we'll let you go on this one. How about you, Andrew? What do you think? <laughs> fact uh, or fiction? I, fact. And I think Will brings up a great point, and uh, all of the Jokers are kind of are very different if you think about it. But I think what puts Heath Ledger at the top for me is that uh, Phoenix had the entire movie to draw the audience in to get us invested in his character, mm-hmm. whereas Ledger literally did that with just literally the moments that he had on screen, uh, which mm. 
he had to split with not only Batman, but like the four or five other heroes and all of the different plot things. So um, for me to fall in love with his performance so much and with the screen time that he had, I think he, that for me puts him at the top. And I actually remember this one quote because I was um, watching a video of Michael Caine. And I think he said that on his days off, uh, he would actually go on set because he wanted to watch Heath uh, act. Wow. Perform. So I thought that was That's an incredible cool. little story. So I'm like, dude, if Michael Caine thinks like he's watching greatness, like I got to go with that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so, so cool. true. Yeah. So mm-hmm. rank them if you had to. <laughs> oh, okay. <Maybe. laughs> uh, Ledger, Phoenix, uh, Nicholson, Hamill. And at the very end of that would be uh, Leto. Okay. I mean, I love Jared, but or yeah. Or just his... push him off the cliff. Oh, who, who? push just put leto off the cliff he's not even there yeah dude i yeah I, I think he's an amazing actor but oh his portrayal was just terrible sorry yeah i mean i'll I'll put in my two cents here i have to uh, say fact uh uh-huh. ledger was in my opinion the best mm-hmm. and it was partially him but also i thought the take on his character that nolan presented mm-hmm. uh, nicholson was great every mm-hmm. actor that has played him has been great Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't blame Leto at all for how mm-hmm. his Joker was received. I blame mm-hmm. the way the character was constructed mm-hmm. as to Got why mm-hmm. he mm-hmm. wasn't so loved so much. But um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, if I had to rank them, I would say Ledger number one, Nicholson mm-hmm. two, Hamill Ooh. three. Oh, uh, yeah. He was a quintessential Joker in everything from video games to animated series to, to beyond. And he was yeah, just so good. Yeah. Oh, you're um, just giving him street cred. What is this? Yeah. Okay. Honestly. <laughs> and, and then Phoenix. And then once mm-hmm. again, uh, and then of course Leto. But the reason why I'm not so high on Phoenix is, okay, he's in a movie called Joker, but he is not mm-hmm. funny. If anything, the movie says he's has no sense of humor and should not mm-hmm. be a comedian. Yeah. So there's that. And also he's dumb in the movie mm-hmm. <laughs> and they make a point about that. And I'm just thinking, okay, He's supposed to be. He's supposed to have this dark sense of humor that you kind of want to laugh at, and he's also supposed mm-hmm. to be the the king of organized crime in Gotham City. And I felt mm-hmm. that the movie fell short to explain those two points. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that, that's that's where I stand there. Um, Very good point. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Next question. Fact or fiction? Christian Bale is the best Batman ever, and I want you to rank your Batmen or Batmans, whatever that would <laughs> Batman. be. Batmans. <laughs> Batmans. <laughs> You first, Andrew. Uh, I would say, oh, this one I was torn because I think um, you're a Keaton guy, right? I am a Keaton guy because for like all of my childhood, he was Batman to me. Um, but I think Bale did an amazing job uh, bringing a sophistication and an intelligence to the character. Mm-hmm. So I would say, oh gosh, that's shoot. Ah, I would have to say. Oh man, <laughs> this is a hard one, Myron. Swear uh, to me. I would have to say uh, <laughs> false. Uh, oh, sorry. Fiction. I know. Right. I fiction. love Christian Bale. I love Christian Bale. Okay. So rank your uh, Batman. Fiction, then. fiction. I would say uh, Keaton, then Bale, then Kilmer. <laughs> oh. Then Affleck, Slim Pickens. Then <laughs> I know. At the end, it's like. Oh. It sounded like you said Affleck. <laughs> Affleck. Was <laughs> so Affleck's at the bottom? <laughs> Affleck. Uh, no, Clooney would have to oh, be at the bottom. Okay. Oh, yeah. 100%. <laughs> Sorry, George. 100%. I think he'll recover. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Will? Fact or fiction? So I would say fact. But I would say because this is a lot easier to rank only because 
you know, we all know Batman's origin story. So there's like no real way that you can bend the the the, the characteristics of of um, Bruce Wayne as like the Joker. Uh, but I think Christian Bale, I don't know. It, it wasn't just his like all uh, his performance was great, but just like just his his look and just the vibe, everything. Like for me, Christian Bale just I, I loved him. So he's like one. And then Keaton, I will say, because he's the mm-hmm. classic, that classic mm-hmm. Batman that I did grow up with, with as well. And it was also a time where Tim Burton's style um, with the whole German expressionism, just the way how he designed the suit and everything like that with Keaton. Like, mm-hmm. I, for me, I fell in love with that, too. Um, Affleck, I feel like he has the potential to actually be a, a really good Batman. Mm, I he's agree. Just, he, there just needs to be the right director, like the right script mm. for him for, for mm-hmm. that to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, Kilmer is... Uh, I Kilmer and Clooney are just like, I could care less, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just could good. care less, yeah. I will say fact, uh, and it's tight between him and Keaton, yeah. but I feel yeah. like the, mm. the X factor for me is the physicality that Bale brings to the role. Yes. Yes. Like I, I can believe that this guy, this ripped guy that's six two and all muscle could could, you know, be a threat physically. And yeah. that's that's yeah. the only thing that I didn't get with Keaton. Yeah. Keaton had that dark side, I th- I think yeah. down, you know. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's close. But I will say uh Bale first and then uh-huh. Keaton. Mm-hmm. And then this is where I might surprise you guys, Affleck, and wow. then Kilmer, and then Clooney. Mm-hmm. And I agree with Will. Here's the thing with with Ben Affleck, I think he's a ten times better a better filmmaker than Zack Schneider. Mm-hmm. And I felt like number one, his character was completely mishandled, and mm-hmm. I felt at some point, if you're an actor playing the Batman, and then you're like, okay. Um, I don't agree with what this guy is doing and I can do a better job. I feel like at some point he might've just checked out yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the justice league. I, I, it literally looks like he oh, just checked man. out, you know, but in, in Batman versus Superman, it looked like he was really trying and I mm. totally bought in. I thought he was great. Mm. I just mm. wish he had a better story around him. You mm. know, that that's my thing. Yeah. I can see that. Yep. Man, Agreed. You know what? I, I keep seeing that scene in uh Batman where, uh, with Keaton, you know, just sitting in front of the the bat monitor, and he's got his glasses that he's kind of yeah. chewing yeah. on, yeah. and the camera slowly like kind of pushing in as he's seeing yeah. like the Joker on screen. I'm yeah. like, that was an amazing yeah. moment. He didn't say anything, but he was just like, dude, yeah. he was Batman. He Keaton is. for yeah. me has more yeah. of the the intellect persona of what yeah. Bruce Wayne is, and mm-hmm. and and obviously uh, Bale has the muscles and whatnot. I yeah. think if Keaton did put on some more muscle, like it would probably been the, the, the perfect like mm-hmm. Batman in that sense. I, I think the one thing that I see is uh, the, again, it's the way that they played it probably, or they kind of conceived uh, Bruce Wayne's, but I think Christian Bale hides his darkness by being this playboy. Whereas um, in uh, Keaton's Bruce Wayne, that darkness is always evident. You could always see mm. it. I think, you know, the, the Bale uh, Bruce Wayne hides that very well. Very true. So I, yeah. yeah, it was just a completely different way they played it. And I just, yeah, I, I, again, I grew up on the Keaton Batman, so I got to go with my boy yeah. Michael. Mm-hmm. All you right. love the curls, huh? Those cur- okay. that, his yeah. curly hair. <laughs> all right, <There's>... all right. <laughs> the curls. <laughs> like the curls. It's <laughs> like he had a perm or something in the, in the first Batman. <laughs> all right, all right, though, Andrew, I'll give it to you. You're wrong, but I'll give it to you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> totally joking. It was okay. a total nostalgic pick. Yeah. All right. <laughs> 
So the movie resonated, Factor Fiction, the movie resonated with audiences and broke box office records because of the Ledger effect. It would not have been as well received if Ledger lived on. Factor Fiction. Andrew. Uh, uh, fiction. Okay. I think it would still be an incredible, incredibly well-received box office-wise if Ledger was still around. Okay. Got it. How about you, Will? Uh, fiction as well. I, mm-hmm. I mean... Obviously, uh, what his last film was uh, Dr. Parnassus, I believe. The yeah, The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. Imagin- yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, yeah th- th- this is one of his greatest performances for sure, I would say. And I think that it would still have been amazing, you know, if he was mm-hmm. still around still. Okay. You know? mm-hmm. I will say fact because his death played into Mm. the character. And I say that because the Joker Mm. is a force of nature. And also uh, some of the things he does in the movie is completely inexplicable. Like how does he get the DNA from his victims and, you know, place it so that the cops know how, you know, who who he's going to strike next? How does he put a bunch of Joker cards into the DA's, not the DA, but the judge's briefcase, you know? Mm. And these are things that, don't have an explanation, but you buy into it because the Joker is being played as a force of nature. And the fact mm-hmm. that Ledger passed on, it was almost as if he lent a certain, a certain supernatural element to the villain mm-hmm. itself and it made him that much more formidable. And, and, and obviously, the better the villain, the better the movie. So I think mm-hmm. it completely tied into how it wow. affected people. Mm-hmm. But if I, I, but I think the success of the movie was not because of his death, but I think it definitely added to it. That's what I think. Yeah, yeah it I was the you... shock factor for me. Yeah, yeah, like I said, like because I had doubts about him in mm-hmm. the, in the beginning, and that's where I'm like, it, it he it still would have been well received even if he was alive because of the fact that he proved me wrong, which I'm just so like glad to see that to see this kind of actor that I'm I'm aware of as the Brokeback Mountain, the ten things I hate about you, the the King Arthur mm-hmm. kind of thing. And, and to be able to be so to be able to take this character of the Joker and twist it into a whole different dimension. So, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it's all said and done, the highlight of Nolan's film career will be this: his Batman trilogy, fact or fiction? Fiction. 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 Nolan. Why? Um, to me, uh, Nolan's film career uh, started for me with Memento. Like for for me, like. He he is just such a great, amazing um, writer, and just and just 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 the way his mind works. Like, like I'm always excited to see the next big thing he's gonna do, you know. And and I think that for Batman, for the Batman trilogy, um, it was one of the great highlights of his career. But I don't think it's gonna be like, you know, it's gonna be the number one for me, I guess. Cause I think mm-hmm. there's going to, there's just a handful of great things, yeah. you know? Very so, true. Yeah. I agree. How about you, Andy? Yeah, I think it's uh, fiction. And, uh, like I said before, the Batman trilogy, Nolan's Batman trilogy is one of my all time favorite, uh, trilogies and films, uh, for sure. But I think I have so much faith in Nolan that he's got so much time left in terms of directing films. And I mean, he's probably got well, like 20, 30 years left. And I'm like, he just gets better and better. And I think he's going to continue to reinvent himself and continue to blow our minds. And so Batman, again, I think is an amazing accomplishment, but I think something he's going to do in the near future or future is going to just completely blow our minds. Yeah. 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 Okay. 
Yep. As a mm-hmm. superhero highlight in, in his career, yes, Batman is mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But as a filmmaker, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, I agree. I agree with you guys. I say fiction. Um, this guy, like you guys said, he has a lot left in the tank and he mm-hmm. is constantly making movies that are mind blowing. And mm-hmm. I think he has at least two, if not three, maybe more movies mm-hmm. that he's going to release that are going to be considered like the best of the century. I mean, we're yeah. in 2020 and I think yeah. he has that talent and I just can't wait to see it. Last mm-hmm. factor fiction question, guys. The Dark Knight should not only have been nominated for an Academy Award, it should have won against Slumdog, Ben Button, Reader, Frost Nixon, and Milk. I liked how you said one. Won. Won. <laughs> should have won. won. I always say won. won. Everyone corrects me, but I, I still say it. I, I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it should have won that year. should have won. <laughs> Andrew? I think fact, uh, and this is saying a lot because I love Slumdog Millionaire. Uh, it's just one of my like just absolutely fun uh, favorite films because it was so much fun when I watched it. But I think in terms of just all of the things that we discussed for the last hour, uh, just how the technical aspects of it, transcending the genre, the performances, uh, I would say yes, fact. Okay. How about you, Will? Mm-hmm. I would say fact. Uh, it should have won. Well, are you saying it should have won that year? I'm saying it should have won that year. Should have won. It should have won, <laughs> won, won that year. Won the best picture. As best picture? <laughs> yes. 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 Um... I would say fact that it should have been nominated for an Academy Award. Ooh, I'm going back and forth because, like, for me, I I really loved Ben Button. I don't know what it like for me. It was great. Like, it mm-hmm, f- mm-hmm. not not just in story and and visuals, but also just the technical technological aspects of what they achieved to age, you know, backwards, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and and the the amount of work it went into it, and how amazingly well done they did to make it so realistic. So, I, I would have been happy either way if it won Best Picture, and like, or or if if not, like, I, mm-hmm. Slumdog Millionaire. Yeah, like it was a good film, but I kind of was leaning more towards Ben Button to win. Yeah. So. <laughs> mm. Slumdog was a flawed film, but it, it kind of mm. captured, I think, the emotions of the voters. The emotions, absolutely, yeah. yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that Bollywood dance, right? Kind of help it oh, just dude. To get it's you epic. all going. Oh, man, that music. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was great. Jail. Jail. Oh, jinx. What about you, Myron? Uh, I say fact. Um, Mm -hmm. I too am a huge Ben Button lover. Uh, Frost Nixon was good. The reader was good. Um, It's all good, but um, (laughs) the dark Knight was transcendent and it it redefined what a comic book movie should be. And Mm -hmm. it, even without the ties to like pop culture characters by itself, it is an amazing uh, character study and just mm-hmm. a, a really well thought out, well written film with so many thought provoking themes and ideas that still ring true mm-hmm. today. So absolutely, mm-hmm. it should have, it should have won, should have won. <laughs> <laughs> That's and good though. Also, yeah. box yeah. office wise, it, it eclipsed all the other films too, right? Put together, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, all man. right, and now, drumroll please for your final reviews of this film out of five stars. I'll go first, and then uh, and uh, Will, you can go next, and then mm-hmm. Andrew can close us out. Our guest I, will okay. close us out. Yeah, I, I give yeah. it f- five stars. In my opinion, the best movie-going experience I've had in my life, and the second best movie I have ever seen. Period. It 
is huge and big and at the same time personal and intimate and it does so much with a beloved character that i i've grown up with and it just added so many layers of texture and detail to what i thought the batman could be so absolutely five stars um yeah next to you uh next you you will go ahead i give it 4.5 um it is it is one of my favorite it is my favorite superhero for sure um i mean it is it takes a lot i guess for me to really give a film five stars in that sense but i like what you said though uh myron that really brought out this film which was the character study like this whole character study of the film and there's so many elements to it that that really uh pushed you know uh going deeper into creating a superhero film you know it's not Mm -hmm. just straight from the comic book anymore you can actually dive deeper and i think nolan really uh broke that and and surpassed and and Mm. opened up new doors for other directors to kind of uh uh to chime in and to take a hold of that um it is my favorite batman film for sure of of all the other batmans uh and, and in its trilogy as well um so yeah loved it Great. Last but not least, Andrew. Five stars for me as well. Um, I think I look at it uh, from a, you know, like a filmmaker's perspective, and we know how hard it is to achieve certain things. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Nolan was able to put everything together, the story, the, you know, the script, the characters, the technical aspects of everything, and uh, and then again, transcending the genre. I mean, this you can't put together a better movie than this in terms of it being a comic book film. Mm. And uh, so 100%, five stars for me. I think it's an incredible achievement. Still holds up today. One of my all-time favorites for sure. Great. So good. So good. Yes. It's so good. (laughs) Swear to me. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everyone. That was our review of the film Capone and our look back at the movie The Dark Knight. Tune in next week for a look at the film The Half of It. And also uh, continuing on with our 10 out of 10, 10 over 10 series, we'll be going through the film Battle Royale. We hope to see you then. Thank you so much. Thank you. See you later. Ah. Ah.